tonight begin a new series, another character study. I hope those are as, as helpful to you as they are for me. I, I like, personally, I love to study different men and women, for that matter, but just uh, people that have done great things for God, or even, even in the secular world, those uh, that have done great things uh, for their nation, and uh, so much you can learn from people. One of the things I like about studying people in the Bible is that the, the Bible is brutally honest about them. It doesn't hide their weaknesses and doesn't hide their failures. It just gives you what they are and, and what they've done. And It's a testament to each one of us what God can do with you and me with our imperfections and, and all that. So uh, that's one of the things I enjoy about these different character studies. We're going to look for a few weeks at the life of Gideon. Now Gideon is the classic story of the underdog. He was a nobody. I mean, a real nobody when it comes to, you know, he wasn't an important person in his country. But he was called to lead the nation of Israel against their mighty foe, the Midianites. He stood basically alone against the worship of Baal. Yet, even though he was alone, he successfully tore down the altar of Baal and he replaced it with an altar to God. We know the story, and we'll get into it, how he was limited by God to only 300 men against the tens of thousands, uh, over 100,000 of Midianites, uh, 135,000 to be exact, Midianites that uh, they attacked with 300 men, and God gave him the victory. It's one of the most miraculous victories that Israel ever experienced. Gideon is a great inspiration to anyone who wants to do great things for God, but they have huge disadvantages. That anybody else sometimes feel like that in their own life? I want to do something for God, but I'm at a disadvantage for whatever reason. Gideon's life teaches us that overwhelming difficulties can be overcome if we uh, have faith in God and his word. Now, Gideon's work of delivering Israel from the Midianites, uh, kind of one of the similarities to John the Baptist, who we just studied about, is that Gideon had a very short uh, he, he's famous for a very short period of his life. He's, it, it's like a meteor racing against the sky. It was bright and spectacular, uh, and then it only lasted for a very short time. Uh, we don't often realize that all the fame of Gideon and what he's mentioned for in Hebrews chapter 11 is like a week out of his life, literally a week. After that, his life didn't go so well. After that, there's a, there's a lot of deteriorating in his Christian life. So, it gives us a twofold lesson, really, about Gideon. Uh, it's a great encouragement to the underdog, but it's also a great warning to the victorious. Because if we're victorious in God in some area of our life, it's very easy for us to rest on those laurels and to, we use the word backslide in the Christian terminology, uh, but to do exactly that, backslide into uh, a regress from our Christian life. You can have great accomplishments in the past, uh, but your victory over evil will not continue unless you are consistent in your faith walk uh, with the Lord. So, uh, past accomplishments will not assure you of victory in the future. Uh, the victorious Christian life is a daily endeavor. It's a daily battle. Have you ever felt what one day you're victorious and the next day you're completely defeated? And the next day you might have a victory again and then the next day you're defeated? Uh, it's, it, that's how the Christian life is. It's a daily battle. And uh, I really encourage you to be here Sunday morning. And
and we're going to talk about, uh, well, I'm not going to tell you what we're going to talk about. It's going to be an exciting, it's going to be a, a, a subject that will be of interest to all of us, but we're going to talk about this daily battle that we have because that's what we're in. Uh, so let's look at Judges 6, chapter uh, 6, verse 1. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of, the Mid of Midian seven years. Let me just say something about this verse there, because all throughout the book of Judges, and we'll, we'll address this in a little bit, but it says in numerous places in Judges, it says that there was no king in Israel, every man did that which was right in their own eyes. Think it. I, I don't remember, don't quote me, but I think it says it four times. There's no judge in Israel, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. So if you asked John Q. Israel in the judges period, how are you doing spiritually, he'd have said, I'm doing great, I'm doing right. But the problem was God's assessment wasn't the same. And here he says the children of Israel did evil. And again, don't quote me, but I think it's eight times, twice as many times as they thought they were doing good, God said they were doing evil. Uh, we are not judged by our standard of right and wrong. We are judged by God's standard of right and wrong. We've got to remember that. Because sometimes we decide, oh, you know, I don't think that's so bad, or at least I'm better than so-and-so, or I'm not, I'm not as bad as all that. God's standard is what we will be judged against. So, anyway, verse 2. And the hand of the Midian, that's the great thing about coming to Bible Baptist, you get free stuff all the time, just little free editions like that. Don't get charged extra, amen? And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel... And because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them the dens which are in the mountains and the caves and strongholds. And so it was while Israel had, when Israel had sown, the Midianites came up, the Amalekites, the children of the east, even they came up against them. And they encamped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth till thou come unto Gaza and left no substance, no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor ass. What this is basically happening, they're planting crops, when the crops come up, it's about time to harvest them, all their work to, to go out and get the fruit of their labor. Here come the Midianites, just wipe them out. Take everything they have. Verse 5, For they came up with their cattle and their tents, and they came as grasshoppers for multitude. For both they and their camels were without number, and they entered into the land to destroy it. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried, Unto the Lord. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites that the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel, which said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt, brought you forth out of the house of bondage, and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, and out of the hand of all that oppressed you, and drove you out from, drave them out from before you, and gave you their land. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites, in whose land ye dwell, but ye have not obeyed my voice. Father, I pray tonight you'd help us as we look at the, uh, as, as we look tonight to this uh, opening of Gideon. And may we uh, see some things in here we might apply to our lives as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Just to kind of get the lay of the land here and understand the situation that Gideon and his people are in, one commentator wrote it this way, we must realize the condition of things before we understand the difficulty of Gideon's mission. If we do not understand the situation, we cannot understand Gideon's distress and hopelessness. Now, Gideon came on the scene during the period of the judges in Israel. This period followed uh, the settlement of Israel in Canaan after the time of Joshua. Uh, there would be about 400 years between Joshua and when King Saul assumed his reign as a king. 
So in between that time, it's the period of what we call the Judges. And uh, th this is a period in history that does not shine bright for this nation. I've heard people say before, if I could just erase my 20s, <laughs> or if I could take this section of my past out of my past, uh, this would be a good section to remove out of Israel's past. This was not a bright, shining testimony of who they were. Again, it says here, they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And that we see that verse throughout the book of Judges. So, the last verse in Judges sums up the problem, which I just mentioned. In those days, there was no king in Israel. And this is Judges 21-25. It sums up kind of the whole book. And every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Uh, judges... The book of Judges records for us 13 judges. There were 12 women, uh, I'm sorry, 12 men and one woman that judged in the, this time of Israel. They came from eight different tribes of Israel. Gideon was the sixth judge, and he's one of the best known because of this incident in his life when he defeated the Midianites. Now, he and Samson, uh, Samson is the 13th and last judge in this book. And Gideon, as I said, was the sixth judge. More is recorded about these two than any other judge. Now, these judges were raised up by the Lord to deliver Israel from great crises at different times. Chapter 2, verse 16 records for us, the Lord raised up judges and delivered out of them out of the hand of those who spoiled them. Now, when Gideon arrived on the scene here, the Israelites were really being spoiled by the uh, Midianites, and by spoiled, I mean they were taking all of their spoil, everything they had, uh, all the, the, the labor of their hands, they were just taking it. And so tonight, to set the scene, I want to look at the shape that the land was in when God called Gideon. So we're going to look at the ruin tonight uh, during Gideon's time. We'll see why Israel so desperately needed deliverance, and it'll tie in to our day as well if we pay attention. But let's look at the explanation of the ruin here. Uh, verse 1. It talks about Israel doing evil. Verse 3, so it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites came up. Verse 4, and they encamped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth. Now, there is a primary cause and a secondary cause of Israel's ruin. Now, I don't want to miss this because we're going we're to look at their reaction to this, these two causes as well. The primary cause is found in verse 1, Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. This is the primary cause that they had all this trouble from the Midianites. Sin always brings unnecessary suffering. Always. And I say unnecessary because it's not necessary to sin. But when we sin, it will always and always and always bring suffering. It always brings misery. And we always have to pay for it. Sin is like a credit card. We can enjoy it now, but the bill will come later and we're going to have to pay the bill at some point. So how much of our suffering in our life, is self-inflicted because of the choices we make. I think if we're honest, we can look at a lot of our problems and we can see, yeah, it probably happened because I did such and such, or I made this choice back here, and, and we can find those in our own life. This is never the case with holiness. Holiness is just the opposite. If we live our, right, our lives right and we obey the Lord to the best of our ability, God gave us commandments to bless us, not to hurt us. In 1 John 5, 3, his commandments are not grievous. Now, the reason that verse has to be there is because Satan tells you they are all the time. They're grievous. They're not, though. Uh, they bring blessing into our life. Sin, on the other hand, does not bless us. It always brings pain and misery, all kinds of grief. Matthew Henry said, let all that sin expect to suffer. 
Now, we're all sinners and we all suffer. But the suffering is a lot greater for the people who sin, a greater in their life, just because that's the nature of sin. Now, look at the particulars here of Israel's sin. I said unto you, verse 10, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites, but ye have not obeyed my voice. The specific sin that Israel was guilty of was the sin of idolatry. We'll see in the next chapter that the specific idolatry was the worshiping of Baal. And worship, by the way, always affects how a man walks and how he acts, what you worship. I saw a bumper sticker uh, not too long ago that said, and I would have loved to talk to the person if the car was parked, but it said, everyone worships something. And how true that is. Everyone, I don't care if you're an atheist. You worship something. Everyone worships something. Sometimes it's a person. Sometimes it's things. Sometimes it's the Lord. Sometimes it's a false god. But somebody is worshipped in your life. And so uh, how we worship and who we worship is going to determine how we live our life. Now, because of uh, the worship of Baal, they would be guilty of all kinds of immorality in their life because he was an immoral god. He was a false god. And so their worship of Baal would result in immorality. Good theology always raises our morals. Bad theology always lowers our morals. Look at the world we live in today. Has our morals not been lowered in the last 50 years? Those of you who are old enough to remember. I'm not that old and I can remember a time that was a lot different than what we live in today. Uh, there's been a definite lowering of our morals. But is it not connected to our view of the Word of God as a society? Teach our children in schools that we are just a bunch of animals. There's no such thing as absolute truth. Uh, they're, they're, uh, teach them situational ethics. What do you expect that we're going to get? We're going to get a mess. And we have reaped a mess from all that sowing. And so bad theology always lowers morals. Now, let's look at the, not only particular, but the perceiving here of their sin. Israel's evil was done in the sight of the Lord. Verse 1, their sin was not hidden from God. No sin is ever hidden from God. God is omniscient. He knows all. Psalm 139, uh, verses 2 through 4, Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. Thou art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but Lord, thou knowest it all together. God knows what we think. He knows what we say. He knows what we do. Uh, we may conceal our thoughts and our deeds from men. Uh, we may conceal them from our friends. We may conceal them from our mates, but we will never conceal them from God. He knows. He sees. So this is a thought that ought to clean up our lives. Amen. And it is uh, if we look at it correctly. And, and, and especially if we pair it with the fear of the Lord. That'll clean up our lives. The primary cause of it, that Israel was in such ruin was their iniquity. Now, the secondary cause was the invasion of Midian. I, I want you to remember, if you're taking notes, that's what the two things you want to remember. The primary cause was their sin. The secondary cause was Midian. Because we're going to talk about how they viewed it in a minute. It's interesting that Israel tried to make the secondary cause the primary cause. And that has never changed. Uh, we always prefer to blame the Midianites of our lives for our problems. Uh, in so doing, we ignore our own doing evil in the sight of the Lord as a factor. But nobody wants, we talked about this Sunday a little bit, nobody wants to look at their own life as a factor in uh, their own troubles. 
uh, people want to put the blame somewhere else, and so we'll blame the Midianites in our lives. Verse 1 uh, puts the, uh, look at, it names them both, by the way, verse 1. They did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them in the hand of the Midianites. So it listed both causes, but they did evil in the sight of the Lord was first in the verse, and that's exactly where it belonged, because that's the primary reason they were having these troubles. When we are chastened by God, don't miss this, it, the primary problem is not the chastening. The primary problem is the reason behind the chastening. But what are we most upset about in our lives? It's the chastening, aren't we? If we, are in tr- if we get in trouble or we're going through trials, we're going through difficult times, all we're screaming about is the trial. It takes a, mat- a little bit of Christian maturity to get behind the reason of it. So where should our focus be? The Bible says in Galatians 6, 7, Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. That's where our focus ought to be, in the sowing. I can't tell you how many times uh, we see this in, in uh, just dealing with people. I've seen it in my own life where we're uh, trying to deal with the reaping in our life with no attention or complete obliviousness to the sowing that brought about the reaping. We're, we're just concerned about the result and what's going on. I always try to draw the attention and focus from people in counseling uh, to the, the cause or the sowing part um, to, rather than what they're reaping and the, the present troubles in their lives. But people aren't interested in that. I'm not interested when I'm in the wrong mindset either. We're not interested in hearing what we're doing wrong. We're interested in how do we fix the problem that we're in right now. We've got to focus on the sowing. We will always, always reap what we sow. The reaping comes after the sowing. The sowing is what we do. The reaping, sowing, somebody's put it this way, you can always choose your sin. You can never choose your consequences. The sin is the sowing. The consequences is the reaping. We can't really control the reaping, but we certainly can control the sowing. That's where our focus should be. All right, let's look at the invaders here. The invaders were mainly Midianites, also included some Amalekites here in the children of the east it talks about. The Midianites were the descendants of Abraham uh, through his second wife, Keturah, Genesis chapter 25, verse 1. The Amalekites were descendants of Esau, Genesis 36, 12. Let me give you a real interesting, I've never actually carried this out, but it's been one of those Bible projects I've had in the back of my mind I really want to do one day, so maybe one of you can do it and just show me your results and keep, keep the work out of my head. If you ever do a study on Israel's enemies, you'll find that by large amounts, most of them were created by them. Midianites uh, was one of the mistakes made by Moses, or Abraham, I'm sorry. Amalekites come from Esau. Esau came about because Moses didn't have the faith in God to wait on Isaac. And so you see a lot of times these mistakes, same way with Noah's daughters, that came, uh, the, the fathered nations uh, through his daughters, their immorality, they became a problem for Israel later. Uh, that, that you can trace back all those. There's something else free. Man, you guys are making out like bandits tonight. All right, the Midianites always were tainted by their wickedness toward the Israelites in Moses' time. Uh, the, remember, they were the ones with Moab that tried to get Balaam to curse the children of Israel. And then uh, finally they resorted to corrupting Israel through the, their sinful women that they had, Numbers chapter 23. And so God commanded Moses to avenge the children of Israel, of the, of the Midianites, if I can speak here, in Numbers 31. Moses did so, 
If you want to see a disturbing chapter, look at what Moses did to the Midianites in Numbers chapter 31. Uh, but his dealing with them was so effective it would be 200 years before the Midianites ever raised their ugly heads against Israel again. It's a good lesson on us on how to deal with evil. It's a lesson that we'll see again in the story of Gideon. If you want to conquer evil in your life, uh, you better oppose it with a passion. Better deal with it swiftly and deal with it hard. We need to pummel it out of our life. The Bible talks about to lay aside every sin and the weight uh, lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us. Not only the sin, we need to get rid of the weights. Whatever weight draws you into the sin. Whatever is not a sin, but it, makes you, it leads you to the sin. Get that out of your life, whatever it is. You need to be careful all those areas. Uh, let's look at the character of the invasion. It wasn't really a military invasion. Uh, the Midianites were armed, Judges 8.10. They could engage in military action, but this invasion was more of a gypsy type of invasion. Uh, they would come in, uh, migrants would come in, uh, they would uh, plunder the people that they were meeting up with, they would come in the land, the Bible says during harvest time, verse 4, uh, they came up every year for seven years uh, with their cattle, their tents, it was no small group either. The Bible says there's so many people, they were like grasshoppers for the multitude. They dominated Israel. Israel no longer had dominion of their land. Can I tell you? Sin will always take away dominion. Uh, Israel had bowed to the gods of the heathen. Now they're going to bow to the tyranny of the heathen. <clears throat> it might start small, but the Bible says we are eventually tied with the cords of our sin. So we need to be careful. And uh, Israel wasn't, and they made that mistake. Uh, it's never easy to deal with it once it grows out of control, which is what was happening here. Verse 2, I've got to kind of run here because I'm running behind on time here, but Israel was imprisoned, verse 2. <coughs> they says they lived in dens, that's kind of a, a ravines hollowed out by rain that they hid in, they hid in caves, the Bible said. Verse 2, uh, these caves were uh, sometimes capable of holding thousands of people. They were big, big caves. Uh, there were strongholds, fortress-type dwellings that they built there. The Midianites not only plundered their crops, they sometimes murdered their victims, Judges 8.18, so they were in danger of their lives. Uh, there were no more, the, the Israelites here were no more than prisoners to the Midianites. What a travesty to see that these victorious people, children of God, that were, I mean, and God names all the things he had done for them, and here they are hiding from the Midianites. They would rather fly than fight. One of the reasons was, I believe, because of their guilty conscience. A guilty conscience always makes you lack the confidence to fight for what's right. Right makes might, and they didn't have it. Uh, sin disheartens men, always, and it did so here for them. All right, look at verse number 6. Israel was greatly impoverished as well as imprisoned. Not only did they take their crops, they took the Israel's livestock here. Their plundering of the land, it left it in ruin. It was an economic disaster. As bad as it seems, and it was, they brought it all on themselves. Now, I wanna, the, the main point of tonight that, uh, that I want to make is how they prayed. Look at verse 6. The children of Israel cried unto the Lord. Now, the troubles with the Midianites caused Israel to cry unto the Lord. Now, a couple of different points about their prayer. Uh, the, it was a delinquent prayer. Look at verse number 7. When the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the when should have been a lot sooner than it was. We're seven years in. 
Finally, they get around to praying. Seven years they watched this happen and they saw all this going on. Then they finally get around to praying. Why wait? Why do we wait to pray? The answer is when we're far from God, we're not inclined to do much praying. They were worshiping false gods. Why would they pray to God? When we're not walking, when we are walking in disobedience to God, we're not going to pray. Prayer and disobedience don't go together. I remember years ago, a pastor told me, a person that's in sin won't read this book. A person that reads this book won't be in sin. And I mean, they just don't go together. They're oil and water. And so, same way with prayer and disobedience. How sad it is that the people with the most problems, the deepest issues in their life, are sometimes the least likely to get on their knees and pray. Because disobedience and prayer, they don't mesh. It's one of the great perils of disobedience. It was a delinquent prayer. It was also, we though see, and this is a good thing, it was a diligent prayer. Israel cried unto the Lord. There's great effort put forth in this prayer. They were not going through the motions. They weren't mumbling through some prayer book. They did cry out unto the Lord and praise the Lord for that. But it was a deficient prayer. The prayer here was deficient in one very important area, and this is kind of the point and focus of my message tonight. Look at what they were praying for. They begged for deliverance from the Midianites. Look at verse 6. The Israel, and Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. Now, it is true that Israel needed deliverance from the Midianites. Amen? But that's their secondary problem. Remember? We saw in the beginning. Their primary problem is their disobedience and their rebellion against God. They did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the primary cause for Israel's problem was their sin. The secondary cause was the Midianites. But the primary prayer was about the Midianites, not about their sin. Isn't that how people are? We're just like that. We don't focus on our evil and our sin. We focus on our problems. Get the problem out of my life. And that's what they were talking about here. They, they were uh, begging God to do something about the Midianites, even though the problem was their sin. So I love, I love what the Lord did. So they begged God for deliverance from the Midianites. So God sent them someone. What did he send them? Did God send them a military commander? Get rid of the Midianites out of there? Look what the Bible says. Then the Lord sent a prophet, verse number 8. God sends him a preacher. I love that. That is the last thing that they were probably asking God for, amen? Great, here comes a preacher. <laughs> what do we need a preacher for? We need to get delivered from the Midianites. But though, even though they were praying about the secondary problem, God answered it in their primary problem. So God deals with the source. He doesn't, we, we as people, and don't miss this because we, I, I see this so often in counseling and in my own life too, we deal with symptoms, we don't deal with problems. God deals with problems so that the symptoms will take care of themselves. But we gotta, we got to remember that. And so here they are. They've got a symptom. Midianites are here because of their disobedience, because they did evil. Oh, God delivers from the Midianites. We need you to send someone. George Patton would be great. He sends him a preacher. <laughs> Sent a prophet. God deals with us the source of our problem. Jeremiah 17.10, I, the Lord, search the heart. 
I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. To answer their prayer, <coughs> he gave them, not their request, but he gave them what they needed, a prophet, to tell them what their real problem was. How many times have you prayed for something, God answers your prayer, and you say, you misunderstood. <laughs> that is not what I asked for. Uh, that is not what I, or maybe it was, you know, you did, prayed for deliverance and it only gets worse. You know, the problem is, there are two D words. Always remember these. You can write this in the front of your Bible because we'll, we'll, we'll fight this our whole lives. We look for deliverance. God looks for development. Always in our life. We're always looking for deliverance from whatever current problem or trial we're going with. God is always looking for development in your life from that same problem and trial. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We know that all things work together for the good to them that love God and are called according to His purpose. He gives us the purpose in the next verse when He talks about how these things come in our lives to form us into the image of His Son. And that's what He wants. He wants to develop us. We always want deliverance. That's what Israel wanted here. Verse number 6, they cried out for deliverance. God sent them a preacher. I, had to, I laughed for five minutes when I read that in my office the other day when I was getting ready. That was just great. I mean, what a disappointment. Hey, here comes someone. It's a preacher. What do we need a preacher for? But that's what they needed, isn't it? I'm used to that, the disappointment <laughs> when a preacher shows up. I'm just, I'm just kidding. Deliverance isn't always what we need. Initially, it's, it's development. Now, here's the thing, though. If we're, if we're willing and we, are, we allow God to develop us, then deliverance usually comes. And de deliverance did come when they took care of the developing part of it. We just got to recognize sometimes that what we think we need isn't always the first thing we need. God might have something different in mind. So... A lot of ruin here in their life, and uh, they had a desire for one thing. God sent them another, but what they really needed was dealt with. Sometimes it's the same in our life, too. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the, for the lesson tonight, and I pray that you would help us as we...